Okay, so the way that these classes run is there's a topic for the month and then I pick out specific parts of that topic uh, for individual classes. And so then there's a focus for the class. And generally the meditations don't diverge too far away from the class's focus. And the topic for the month is, is growth and well-being. And I chose that specifically because this is a difficult time of transition where people are returning back, I hopefully, fingers crossed, from lockdown into day-to-day -day life. And I've observed that this has actually been quite a traumatic experience for a lot of people. One of the things that has happened, which is a kind of key um, element of stress and a key element of anxiety as well, is that a lot of the trauma is actually subliminal. It, you, you kind of don't notice it happening until you're in a different situation and you discover that you're not as resilient. So we're social animals and we've been separated from each other. Separating people from each other is the ultimate punishment in modern prisons. So, and the reason, there's a good reason for that and that's because it subdues the individual, the subject. Well, that's the ideal scenario. Uh, and so there are a lot of people who've literally been separated. And what happens is a few things. What, what, one of the things that happens is that there's loneliness, which is something that our culture doesn't speak about very much. There have been a lot of studies into loneliness and it's, it's the equivalent of smoking 70 a day, something like that, in terms of your well-being. So, you know, emotional resilience and well-being really, really are, are a, an important balance. The more emotionally resilient we are, the better our well-being. There's no real doubt about that. So th th there's loneliness. There's also, we're tribal beings and we've been separated from our tribe. And what happens is that there's a feeling, a sense of rejection. You know, that's, that's kind of part of loneliness anyway. And so these things contribute to the trauma and the end results of it is two things. One is health anxiety, which is something that I was aware of and that many people experience. But of course, with coronavirus, that has elevated. So if you're somebody who experiences health anxiety and you've you know, just gone through the pandemic, your health anxiety will have grown. If you're not somebody who's experienced health, health anxiety, you may be there now. Um, and the other thing is a lot more subtle and 
and that's agoraphobia. Essentially, agoraphobia is an avoidance of social connection, an avoidance of, it, it get, gets to the point where people are actually frightened to go out. Um, but this avoidance of social connection is a kind of creeping effect. So it starts off as, oh, I don't, I don't fancy this party, you know. Oh, I don't, I don't fancy going to yoga again. I don't fancy coming along to meditation. What's happening there is we're rationalizing something. And this can build up into a situation where we have to work with that anxiety to reconnect. That's the reason that I chose these topics. And it's also why I'm going back to basics on focusing on the stress management and emotional resilience techniques. So what I teach, I call mindfulness-based resilience. It has three key areas that have stood the test of time. There's mindfulness practice. I also include in that what they call gratitude practices, which are actually us working with our emotions by using our, our positive. I try to avoid the words positive and negative, but just so you get my drift. We can, we can work with our difficult emotions by working with comfortable emotions. That's how gratitude practices work. For instance, when, I, when I'm teaching people who are extremely challenged in their, their life situations, it's really, really common because this is, it's a cultural thing you know, we learn it from our parents, beat ourselves up, blame ourselves, I, I'm a fool, I'm an idiot, I do this. And I still, and we learn it from our parents, you know, I'm officially a stupid boy. <laughs> and of course that sticks in your head and then, uh, you know, I, I'm a fool, I did this thing, you know, I need to smarten up and so on. But that can really get out, out of control. So if your life situation is very challenging, the inner critic becomes incre incredibly powerful. And so the, the gratitude practices help us to work with that through self-compassion. And it's transformative. So there's mindfulness. Mindfulness is the undistracted awareness of the experience of the present moment. It's this grass and how it smells. That's it. That's, that's mindfulness. It's also whatever thoughts and emotions there are, and it's also whatever else is happening around you, and it's also how you respond to whatever else is happening around you. So it's all, all of these things. And then there's the stress management and the emotional resilience practices. So I'm, I'm moving over from calling them emotional regulation, which people don't really understand, to emotional resilience because people now get the concept of resilience. Resilience is the capacity to bounce back from adversity. So we've had adversity during the pandemic. Everybody's encountered it at some level or another. And resilient people are those that are best capable of coping 
on after a well during a, an adversity and afterwards as well so those are the focus and I'm leaning a little bit more towards the emotional resilience and stress management practices now because that's what we need to reconnect so let, let's say I mean speaking as somebody who was an anxious person um, I still encounter anxiety from time to time. It's a human thing. I, mean, I, you know, I say this quite a lot, and I stand by it, and that is if you don't feel stressed and anxious in the modern world, there's something wrong with you because we aren't actually designed for a lot of the experiences that we have, and you never know what's going to arise. So there's, that, there's an understandable level of it. But what we want is for it to be in proportion. We don't want to squish out. We don't, I don't want to turn you all into sort of rubber people who can weather every storm but actually have suppressed emotional responses. Stress and anxiety has got a purpose. Uh, but we want it to be proportional. So let's say I'm, I'm an anxious person and my anxiety is getting in the way of me reconnecting. It's actually the conversations that I have. You know, I, I, you know I've got a difficult neighbour if I've got a difficult colleague, difficult people in my family, I have to interact with them in a way that's useful for me and ideally useful for them as well. And there are all sorts of responses from anxious people. So my response as an anxious person was anger. That was both internalised and externalised. So blame, 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 if nobody else to blame, then I'd blame myself because somebody had to be responsible for everything. There was no co real concept of the um, randomness of life. Or, uh, but quite common and probably more common is actually avoidance. So if, you know, if meeting this difficult person, having this difficult situation, asking for something, running the risk of being rejected all of that that's where we, we that's where we want to be we want to be in a space where we can be rejected a lot one of our regular students who isn't here at the moment told me that one of the most useful things she'd learned from me is my favorite one of my favorite little sayings which is if you don't live on the edge of your comfort zone, it shrinks. So what I want us to do, want you to do, is to be comfortable and be able to manage and regulate and moderate and modulate your interactions with difficult people. It doesn't mean you always have to have that difficult interaction now. That's going the other way and that's, you know, you, you, you timing is really important but avoiding it is unhelpful so these are the tools and techniques and practices that will help you to interact benefit from difficult interactions get familiar and comfortable with your mind that familiarity and comfort 
in time will squish the, the inner critic. It, it'll just drift away and their overall benefits. And a lot of these kind of accrue. There are a lot of studies, you know, I, I still people producing papers on mindfulness and so on and gratitude practices and so on and stress management and it, it goes on and on and on so um, there's an awareness that meditation and meditation associated practices everything I teach can be done as a meditation even if it's not specifically a typical meditation um, as well as that before I get started on today's meditations, I've also moved the focus of the course slightly to emotional resilience. I mean, it always has been, but more so now. And largely that's because I'm learning practices that work better for more people. Okay, to meditate, you can sit or lie however you wish. Traditionally, people sit cross-legged. Only reason for that is you're less likely to fall asleep. So you can lie on your back if you want. If you fall asleep, you fall asleep, it doesn't matter. Sleep and meditation go together. All the big hitters on YouTube with tens of millions of meditations under their belt, they're largely adult bedtime stories, the purpose of which is to help people drift off to sleep. Not really meditations. Uh, guided visualizations. I don't really do guided visualizations but you still may fall asleep. And you can combine that and you can also move around. There's a lot of traditional nonsense about posture. I simplify it by suggesting that the first and single most important thing is your comfort. Because especially if you're relatively new, constantly being distracted by the fact you can't feel your legs, for example, it's going to detract from what you can learn in the session. Then the next thing is, ideally, we want our back to be reasonably straight. But remember, comfort comes first. So this is a trial and error exercise. As a simple way of getting your back straight and relaxing at the same time, all you need to do is place your elbows by your side. In the modern world, we have a tendency for our elbows to creep forward and for us to lean forward and for our heads to crane upwards. And this is all part of the stress response. So this is how people respond when they're stressed. And then the other thing is to find the most comfortable position for your head on your shoulders and allow yourself to become aware of whatever tension there is in the shoulders and what you're looking for is the place of maximum comfort which is also the place of least tension then there's a couple of little bio hacks as they've come to be known one is placing your finger and thumb very, very, very gently in contact so that there's so, such a light contact 
that you could slip a cigarette paper between them and maintain that contact. And if you discover that your fingers open up, you put them back. If you discover that they become tight, you loosen them. This also helps one in 10 people drift off to sleep. Then the other biohack is to place your tongue up against the back of the top teeth so it's gently in contact with the sharp part of the bottom teeth and that contact with the sharp part of the bottom teeth will help to relax your jaw. Relaxing your jaw relaxes your face. Relaxing your face is a benefit, it's an area of stress. So to deal with stress, which is the body's response to a perceived challenge. And as life is full of challenges, life becomes full of stress. The single most efficient way is to learn to relax. Um, but we have to learn to be able to do that over time through practice, repeating relaxation practice, incremental relaxation meditations. So my most popular one is what I call the de-stress meditation. And so what we'll do is begin with that. And to begin the meditation, I shall sound the bell. And the purpose of the bell is to act as a portal into the present moment. If you listen to the sound of the bell as it moves through time, Stay with it. And now stay with whatever other sounds there are, whichever sounds arise. for the same purpose, for noticing that sound moving through time. So we're connecting to the present moment through an awareness of time and sound. And we're beginning to connect to our bodies through an awareness of the sensations in the body that are associated to tension. And we can prepare ourselves by allowing the mind to inform us where the tension is. And if you're new to this, generally speaking, it's in the shoulders, in the jaw, in the face, in the hands, 
and to release the tension what we do is focus on those parts of the body that are tense as we're aware of our out-breath. Each time we breathe, during the in-breath the body's in stress mode, during the out-breath it's in relaxation mode. So we're associating tension with awareness of where the tension is with an awareness of the out-breath. And that set of associations will help us relax ever so slightly on each out-breath. And so for us park meditators, we can notice a sensation on our forehead because of the breeze. If you're not a park meditator and you can't sense any feelings in your forehead, which is quite normal in the modern world, what you do is you put the palm of your hand very close to your forehead without quite touching it. And there is a tingling feeling and a sensation of warmth. And then when you take your hand away, et voila, you're getting sensory feedback from your forehead. And so all we're going to do is move down the body through the areas with the greatest stress, focusing on that part of the body as we move. And this practice is known as the de-stress meditation. So gently moving down the body, focusing on the forehead, all on the out breath, then the eyebrows and the eyes, tongue in contact with the sharp part of the bottom teeth, head balanced comfortably on top of the spine, just noticing the eyes as you breathe out. you can extend the out-breath by making it audible with a shushing sound. That's the simplest way to do it. And once you've done that for a while, then you're able to do it without thinking. And then when the out-breath is a little bit longer than the in-breath, we're spending more time in relaxation mode than we are in stress mode. So focusing on the eyes as we breathe out, 
and moving our focus of our attention down to the cheeks. All on the out breath, mouth and lips. Jaw. and throat. Then gently letting our attention creep down to the back and sides of the neck and shoulders. And so doing this seated, we can notice as we breathe out the weight of the arms pulling the shoulders down. We can feel the shoulders being pulled down. Checking in with the finger and thumb so they're very gently in contact helps because that helps to relax the entire arm and relax the shoulders. And then we're going to move down the body, releasing tension as we go on the out breath. And at first you won't notice anything. Well, you may not. You may, you may not. But bit by bit, incrementally during the practice, you may well notice yourself relax. And if you practice this often enough, it becomes more and more obvious. That's why this is known as incremental relaxation. So moving our focus down, noticing the chest rising and falling. And the chest and upper back expanding and contracting. All on the out breath. Moving down, noticing the abdomen rising and falling. and the belly and lower back. And then what we're going to do now is relax all of the area around the pelvic girdle. So when we're sitting, the thing to be aware of is to notice the pelvic girdle relaxing into the chair. Notice it softening. If we're lying on our backs, as we relax, we can notice and allow the hips to open up. And so we start this part of the relaxation with the thighs. 
noticing the sensations in the thighs. The feeling of clothing, if you're in a chair, the feeling of the chair against the thighs or if you're on your back, the floor, the yoga mat. Just letting whatever tension and tightness, pressure and stress there is in the thighs drift out on the out breath. And then moving round, releasing tension from the buttocks and hips. The lower back and waist. and the lower belly. Each out breath releases a tiny little bit more tension. So the belly and lower back the abdomen, and the chest and upper back. So if you're seated, there's a sense of slumping into, the, into your seat, into the chair. And that's perfectly fine. When we teach children to meditate, we say to them, sit like a frog. So if you find yourself sitting like a frog, that's fine. If you're lying down, it's about allowing your rib cage, your shoulders to open up. and then focusing on the shoulders and neck again. We're gonna go back round to the sides and back of the head. This is relaxation and connection. We're connecting to the sensations as well as learning to release the tension. And then round to the crown of the head. How does that feel? What sensations are there? And the forehead again. Moving down, forehead, 
all on the out breath, eyebrows. eyes cheeks mouth and lips jaw and throat. And then back to the neck and shoulders again. And don't be surprised that each time that you return, you notice a little bit of tension's crept in. It does that. Again, letting the tension drift out of the back and sides of neck and shoulders. And then moving our attention down the arm, the upper arm, the forearm, and the hands. Checking in on your thumb and forefinger that they're very, very gently connected. Letting whatever tension there is drift out as you breathe out. The breath becomes like a pump. It's pumping out the tension, tightness, pressure and stress. What we're going to do now is move straight into another practice. So that's the de-stress. De that's a long version of a de-stress meditation. You can do that. Usually it takes about eight minutes to complete. But we're going to move over to a four-minute exercise. This is what I call the four tens relaxation practice. And we focus on four key areas of the body that maintain a lot of stress. That's the jaw. Sorry, the eyes, the jaw, the shoulders and the hands. And the way to do it is to relax each part for 10 out-breaths. Again, extending the out-breath ever so slightly. So focusing our attention on the eyes, the area around the eyes, the forehead, eyebrows, eyes and cheeks. Breathing in normally, breathing out. releasing tension from those areas. The sensation's a bit like somebody's stroking their fingers down your face.
tongue in contact with the sharp part of the teeth, head balanced comfortably on top of the spine. When you do this at home, you're counting the out-breaths. You do that for 10 out-breaths. And then breathing in normally, breathing out, releasing tension from the mouth and lips, jaw and throat. Again, doing this at home, what you do is you count for 10 out-breaths. And then breathing in normally, breathing out, releasing tension from the shoulders, back and sides of the neck. being seated you're noticing the weight of the arms pulling the shoulders down lying down you're noticing the upper part of the rib cage open up and release And then breathing in normally, breathing out, releasing tension from the hands. Thumb and forefinger gently in connection. Just letting the hands open up like the petals of a flower until they're super comfortable. So that's a four minute exercise. We're now going to move over to another one, which is a single out breath. So what we're doing here is developing our expertise in connecting to our physiology and building our skill at relaxation. And so to do this practice, which I call the relaxation response, breathing in, bring your attention to the space between the eyes as you breathe in, and as you breathe out, all on the out breath, releasing tension from the eyes, jaw, shoulders, hands and feet. So it's like a wave of relaxation moving down the body. Breathing in, 
noticing the space between the eyes, breathing out, relaxing the eyes, jaw, shoulders and hands. And so conveniently there's a tractor mowing the park and getting closer, although it's still a few hundred yards away. And the reason that that's convenient is because it, it can be perceived as being an irritation. So it's the ideal level of irritation that we want to work with. An irritating sound is perfect. So what we're going to do now is mindfulness meditation. We do that by focusing on the breath. The place to notice the breath as a beginner is the movement of the belly. Just noticing the movement of the belly, just at the point where the belly meets the chest. What we're doing is noticing the rising and falling of the belly. So this is the same as with the sound. We were noticing sound moving through time. And what we're doing now is we're noticing the movement of the belly moving through time. Noticing the belly rising, noticing the belly falling. And if your mind's busy, you can adopt that as a mantra. All a mantra is, is something we say in our minds when we're meditating. So as the belly rises, say in the mind rising, as the belly falls, say in the mind falling. Rising, falling. Rising, falling. Focusing particularly on the out-breath. And if you choose to do so, as you breathe, you can adopt the relaxation response breath. 
breathing in normally, breathing out, releasing tension down the body, eyes, jaw, shoulders, hands. And what we're doing is we're not just releasing tension, we're also releasing irritation. Just letting the tension out, just letting the irritation out, the annoyance. The frustration, if you feel frustration. Any impatience, just letting it go all on the out breath. Feeling bored. Just let the boredom drift away. So this is our tool set. It's the breath, the awareness of the present moment, and relaxing the body. And our practice is the infinite progression of boredom, irritation, frustration in our lives and impatience. So there we are when noticing the breath. So now, now that the irritating noise has got louder, <coughs> what we do is transfer our focus to the irritating noise. That becomes the focus of our meditation. Notice the noise moving through time. and notice your breath rising and falling. Gently releasing whatever tension creeps back anywhere in the body, anything that you notice. Because that tension and that irritation are one and the same thing. And our releasing the tension 
releases the irritation. And the sound, the noise, becomes the focus for our meditation. And we're meditating on the sound of the tractor cutting the grass. Staying connected to the breath helps us to continue to notice the movement of the sound through time. Stay with the breath, stay with the sound. Stay with releasing tension on the out breath. And notice that that sound is part of the general hubbub. So there's our neighbours, the family of crows. There is the sound of the wind in the trees. There are park sounds. There are traffic sounds. There's the sound of my voice, all moving through time. And you can notice it all happening by noticing the breath rising and falling.
the breath, the movement of sound, releasing tension from the body. Witnessing this experience. And noticing the sound of the bell moving through time. And in your very, very own time, gently returning your attention to your surroundings. So that, that was a convenient prop for the class that I was teaching. So we have these difficult experiences. There are all sorts of levels. The framework for meditation that I teach teaches us to be able to learn to manage our stress and regulate our emotions in day-to-day -day experiences. So it's baby steps, essentially, which is one of my four rules of meditation, baby steps. You know, baby gets up, walks along, falls down, gets up, walks along, falls down. That's it. So the baby's learning to walk by falling down. Um, and what baby's doing is training her subconscious mind through gentle repetition. That's what we're doing. That's how meditation works. And so what we want to do is, is we don't want to plunge into our deepest, darkest fears with our wonderful new silver bullet tool. It's not going to do it. What we want to be able to do is to convince our subconscious mind through example that we can have what was previously a difficult experience and it can actually be quite neutral or fulfilling. So the irritating sounds become less irritating, the difficult neighbours become less difficult, and everything becomes more harmonious and more balanced. And you, you have, so those of you that are new today have a new toolkit, and those of you that have been coming along for a while have got one you practised, and this is the irritating sound, that's how you practice it. So irritating sounds now become an opportunity to practice in the same way that being stuck in a queue, the impatience that you feel becomes a, an opportunity to practice. And all you're doing is noticing the breath, noticing the present moment, noticing how you feel, I'm irritated, I'm impatient, and noticing that change over time to the point where I'm in a queue, it's meditation time. Or there's an annoying sound, I'll meditate on that. And so you find yourself in a group and you're the only person not driven mad by the crying baby 
or all the little herberts running around hanging from the curtains and screaming at the top of their voices, you're fine with it. And everybody else is going, oh, we're going to shut them kids up. 